welcome to episode two of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. That's tip as in tip off for the Minnesota Timberwolves and tap as in the best the Twin Cities craft beer scene has to offer. I'm Dan Hilton, frontman for indie rock bands Southern Resident Killer Whales and Sender's Dream and former co-host of the First Team All Nonsense podcast. Dan, congrats on launching the new song with Sender's Dream. Maybe more on that later, but I'm Josh Dye, the... President and founder of the Convened Training and Resilience Community, and we are super excited that you are listening into the only podcast in the world to focus on the world-class Twin Cities craft beer scene and the stay-after-class Minnesota Timberwolves. Great, and we will get into our beer talk for the week in just a second, but first, so second episode only, and it was interesting because we came up when we were kicking this idea around, we had this thought that, okay, marriage made in heaven because we got Minnesota craft beers, Minnesota Timberwolves. We're going to be speaking to a Minnesota audience and we'll get local people to head over to the tap rooms and so on. So, well, a couple of days after we did the initial podcast, I start poking around the analytics and we'll see if I keep, I probably will keep doing that, but I'm yes, looking you around, will. you know, who's been listening to this thing and I'm seeing like, what Germany, what you know, San Francisco, Croatia, like I've seen these people visiting from around the world. And it occurred to me like, whoa, we're going to be talking about some of these breweries that are locally that people can't necessarily just traipse across town to go to. So we'll see if that in any way changes how we talk about beer. We'll be talking some about, you know, what we learn about different styles and and, and so on. But I think it's also fair for us to continue talking about local product, even if it is not distributed worldwide. And you can think in some ways, you know, there's like Fodor's Europe or whatever. And so for those of you internationally, perhaps we're telling you if you got 36 hours in the Twin Cities at some point when uh, COVID restrictions let up, here's some of the places you might want to check out. So hopefully there's still value in carrying that. But we do want to acknowledge that not everyone listening to this show is necessarily going to be from the area. And if anybody not from the Twin Cities is listening to this show and you want to share one of your favorite local craft beers from wherever you're from or your favorite beer where from where for where forever you're from looking at let us know on Twitter, right? Dan, what's the uh, Twitter handle for the show? We'd love to hear any uh, craft beer recommendations from around the country, around the world. The Twitter handle is at tip2, and that's spelled out T-O-TAP. So yeah, look so for us there. Let us know. And uh, so all that beer talk and local beer talk, what is our brewery feature for the week, Josh? Dan, it is 56 Brewing of Northeast Minneapolis, where their tagline is Garden to Growler. Now, why do they have the tagline Garden to Growler? Well, they strive to use local ingredients wherever possible. So 56 Brewing is located at 3055 Northeast Columbia Avenue in Northeast Minneapolis. A good way to think about it. Everybody has Google Maps, of course, but let's say you're in Northeast and you're at about Broadway and Marshall. If you head north on Marshall and keep up Keep on going. You'll eventually get pretty close to 56 Brewing just by doing that. Now, a little history on 56 Brewing is before they had constructed their beautiful tap room, which I believe has been open for the past couple of years, they had just kind of this like nondescript space where they weren't even allowed to uh, sell beer on site. 
So they were brewing and they were producing and you could go in and get a growler or uh, a small thing to go, but you couldn't drink anything on site. Well, my now wife, Shannon, and I, one date night, we're like, oh, what's a brewery we haven't tried yet? And we saw 56 Brewing. We were living in Northeast Minneapolis at the time. We go up there and we walk in and talk to the folks and they're like, you know, actually we're not allowed to uh, sell beer on site here because like it was actually because they didn't have a bathroom, right? So they, <laughs> they had kind of, it was just a very rough industrial environment. But let's just say they were at the time generous with the samples. Mm. Uh, <laughs> we'll say they're generous with the samples. But Dan, we've had our own cool history there. They now in their beautiful new facility, they've got a cool patio. It overlooks beautiful community gardens. They have a fun little loft area that has some pinball machines. And they have that. They have that game where you swing a washer and try to loop it over a hook, which is just mind-bendingly hard. But I've yeah. been there when a guy actually did it, so you know it can be done. Uh, but it is in that class, and you know we, we mentioned that the first few breweries we're going to be going to are ones where we have together had good experiences at the brewery. So they're going to be places where they have great in tap room experiences generally, and this is no exception. And we do hope to be doing the show eventually from the tap rooms. Right now we're um, operating via Zoom, uh, but yeah, I would agree. This the patio beautiful overlooking the the garden where i think they actually get when you mentioned the local ingredients um sometimes they're actually getting ingredients i believe from that garden yeah uh yeah and it is in among those that class of brewery i would say where just not had an had an underwhelming experience with any of their their beers Today. And it's so, a great time to point out what we've been discussing in our personal conversations lately around how there is no experience quite like drinking a craft brew in the tap room with the smell of the wort and just the, the environment that's happening and the beer as fresh as it can get that there just isn't an experience that quite compares to that. And so these samples we're taking right now are often out of crawlers or cans and the beer is still super solid, but that we very much look forward to COVID-19 ending first and mm. restrictions also ending so that we can get back to the, uh, the tap room and those experiences. But now's probably a good time to introduce the beers that we are discussing. Dan, why don't you go first and talk about the beer no, that I you think, selected for today? I think you should go, I think you should go first. Cause mine is sort of a, the evolution of, in a way, of, of your beer. So why don't you go first, Josh? Yeah, so I am drinking the Sippy Squeeze, which is a, well, it's a golden and hazy dry hopped New England IPA packed with juicy citra and mosaic hops. And I want to break down three things about this beer. And that's, I wanted to dig in a little bit of like, what do some of these things actually mean? Like, what does dry hopped mean? What's a citra hop? What's a mosaic hop? Because I drink a lot of these beers. And I remember, maybe it's like within the past 18 months or so, Dan, we're like always searching for a new great beer and often an IPA. And one time you said something like, man, it seems like the mosaic hop is where it's at. Like, mm. get beers with mosaic <laughs> hops because those are like... And then I realized, like, I don't really know much about, like, if I see on a can or on a website, that this beer is dry hopped with these hops. But I was right about the mosaic hops, right? They are where it's at. They are where it's at. So let's dig into just, 
I'm going to break down three things. What is dry I, I, hopped mean? What's a citra hop? What's a mosaic hop? I, I do know, actually. So you think like dry hops to you to anyone would mean that, oh, you, you dry the hops rather than having them wet when they go into the malting process. But in fact, you need to dry. Is this right? You need to dry all hops before they're they go in. This has more to do with the stage of the, what, something about the stage of the temperature before the hops go in. I'm, I'm, I'm losing it. You got to fill me in. No, that's fine. It's, uh, it's about the brewing process. So here's how hop culture describes it. The term dry hopping comes from the fact that the hops are placed dry into the fermented ale. Though they do get wet in the process, they're not boiled in the wort. And then another site called Vine Pair adds, you know, brewers add hops after the boil to give the beer an aromatic hoppy aroma without the bitter flavors that characterize many hoppy beers. So dry hopping is one of those things that actually like reduces the, the bitterness of beer hmm. from the, the brewing process is how I understand that, which is why I think with the trend of hazy IPAs, you're saying that uh, dry hop is a part of the process. So what is a citra hop? Any ideas what a citra hop is, Dan? Like what, what are the features of a citra hop? So it would seem to suggest that uh, a, something about citrus, which to me would mean it's maybe a little more crisp, um, little more of a citrus flavor, but you're going to tell me that that's wrong. Does it have anything to do with where it's from? Well, according to Hoplist, citra hops were in, introduced into the brewing world in 2008. Just think about like how new this stuff really <laughs> is. And because uh, you see that beer, they're maybe the most, wouldn't you say, most IPA cans you see locally brewed ones, they will mention citra hops. Uh, yes, that is definitely I've something that I've noticed. So they were introduced in the craft brewing world in 2008 and the craft beer Academy says that citra hops have a strong yet smooth floral and citrus aroma and flavor. So uh, citrus meaning sort of that fruity flavor, smooth floral as well. And then the mosaic hop. So you drank a lot of beer with mosaic hops. Mm. How would Dan Hilton describe a mosaic Hop. So uh, when I mention mo a beer with mosaic hops to someone that's not, doesn't consider themselves a big beer person, they'll react with like, oh, I can't, I can't tell the difference. To me, mosaic hops are quite distinct. It is a very, I think all hops would sort of are described a bit as floral, but there is something that's really sort of a, an open floral sort of explosion fruitiness mm. to it. Um, but it, I, it, to me, it is a very distinct hop. It's a similar, I think it's similar to Alzaca hops, mm. but those two are sort of standalone. What can you so, tell me? Yeah, so the, I really liked the uh, Brooklyn Brew Shop's description of the mosaic hop. It's full of vibrant berry flavors and an earthy complexity. Mosaic hops have quickly become a darling of the craft beer world. Released in 2012, the nice. wonderful berry fruitfulness of mosaic is complemented by a contrasting earthy piney taste. So you get like that berry, but earthy and piney which uh, are, taste which to are as well. The descriptors I used at all, which goes <laughs> to show something. <laughs> 
Well, and that's actually why I wanted to dig into this because it's like, all right, what are these things? Because the experience you have with them or how you describe them may not like even match up. And so the final thing about, I'll say about the Sippy Squeeze is I looked at its rating on Untapped. So the Sippy Squeeze has an average rating of 3.85 out of five on Untapped, mm-hmm. and that's out of 4,470 ratings. And I'll say based on my taste, and I think that's a fair rating. I like the beer. It's a solid beer. I would recommend that people try it. Um, but I also think that that's a, a fair rating and that's like quite a number of reviews as well. So what, what has been your beer from 56 that you've liked the most? Because as we said, that it's a place that we go to again and again, we have had a lot of really good experiences. What do you think they do particularly well? Well, I think they do the uh, the IPAs and the hazy IPAs well. One that we had during our last visit, which was an outdoor visit mm-hmm. uh, earlier in the the quarantine, and I brought out you were you I said, all right, Dan, I'm going to go in and get one. I'll grab you something, and you said, surprise me. Yeah, and you may not remember what I surprised you with, but I surprised you with the cinnamon mocha stout. Mm. And I remember that day, it was kind of a chilly day. Uh, I remember really enjoying that uh, beer at that time as well. And so I've enjoyed their IPAs as well as that uh, cinnamon mocha stout, which is on their tap room menu right now. Nice. They're always doing a lot of really interesting things. So you left that day and I stuck around because remember what I discovered that they were doing there? So I am a fresh hop fiend yes and if i find that there are fresh hops so basically hops that are used in the brewing process within like 24 hours of them being picked or it's some insane thing like that so they're made in very small batches and i've only had in my life now two fresh hop experiences true fresh hop experiences at the tap room one was from a brewery in madison wisconsin where I find the beer generally pretty unremarkable, but this guy came out and told me they just made some fresh hop beer and he had this smile on his face and I tried it. It was like the best beer I had in my life. So I'm not a huge Pilsner guy. And what brewery yeah. was that? I think it's that, fair to call That was, okay, that was Great Dane and they have yeah. wonderful foodie food, just wonderful. I've not found their beers particularly remarkable. They're a small chain of restaurant, like brew pubs, uh, but they made this fresh hop beer that was off the charts your mind was blown yeah my mind was blown and so i determined like i need to seek out fresh hops well 56 this last fall had a fresh hop pilsner i was like "Hmm, i'm not a huge pilsner guy but this would be a great test for this whole fresh hop concept and my experience with it and by god if it wasn't the best pilsner i've had in my life it was a lot just a lot more flavorful where normally i find pilsners a little bit thin and just not all that super interesting not your favorite style yeah yeah just it's just just a style thing and this thing was just open and flavorful and luscious and it it had sort of uh some of those qualities that i like so much in in my favorite ipas were present there from a flavor standpoint but it was it was just wonderful and yeah so i i i will remain a well, maybe we'll end up with some sort of like fresh hop alert system as we, the podcast <laughs> grows and evolves. But so, so Dan, I had the yeah. sippy squeeze. You <laughs> uh, are having a 
Double, I, so that's just the regular yeah. IPA. You have the double IPA called the Super Sippy Squeeze. Tell us about it. Well, it's nine percent alcohol by volume, but it's interesting because these are they're they're dry hopped, right? And as you said, and who, <laughs> as you informed me once upon a time, the double has nothing to do with double the whatever the quality of the beer is. It doesn't mean double the hops. Double hops. It's not double It's Double alcohol. So it's nine percent. Alcohol by volume, but only 45 IBUs, which are the international bitterness units. And you think 100 IBUs is a really bitter beer and under 50 starts to get into styles that you wouldn't generally classify as like an India pale ale or anything like that. But this is 45. There's some bitterness in there. Um, I was just jotting some notes. I decided to sip this a little bit before we started recording. And I, I wrote down the word throaty it's sort of like a uh a, a, a thicker sort of uh flavor i think they call it flavor profile it's fairly malty in fact that there's enough of a malt that it hides the booze pretty well in until you let it kind of sit in the back of your throat a little bit when the vapors start to rise um but it's a very it's it's flavorful for something that is this boozy and it's good and yeah it's and and we should say the sippy squeeze is a beer that it's a it's a year round it's something that they've done for a long time and we were having a little discussion before we started where i was saying like oh yeah it's it's their flagship just like prize has the miraculum as their flagship and so on and you, you were telling me well it's like breweries don't really do flagship per se they have year-round beers but they're sort of adapting and changing with how tastes evolve and change that they wouldn't necessarily have something that they would call a flagship but for sure this is a beer that has been stood the test of time there that the sippy squeeze and so i'm just having basically the more alcoholic version of that and it's super solid yeah and to clarify you know i it when a lot of these tap rooms started, it seemed like they all had flagship beers, which were like, you'd get a menu. And I remember doing this in the Twin Cities or if I travel place and you'd get like their beer list and they'd mm -hmm. have, these are our flagships and these are our like seasonals or things they're experimenting with. And some may still do that, but I just noticed with looking at a couple of breweries, uh, websites to see like, are they using like, these are our flagships and, and these are the rest. Now it's more like, in the tap room, year round, barrel aged, you know, and um, and there's kind of like breaking them down by by category. But sounds like we have a thumbs up for the oh, sippy yeah. squeeze and the super sippy squeeze. Get the sippy squeeze if you want to be a functional human being during the day. <laughs> and if, if you've the, been uh, talking to him for a sippy, while, if you can go to sleep right after having it, if uh, you want some hot takes. <laughs> and now I think I'm ready to move on and talk some two rules. And it's time to talk about the recent NBA draft. And the debate coming in was keep the pick or trade it. And I want to know like your assessment of that. And this may become a recurring segment of Dan's egregious take from last time. <laughs> but you said something to the effect of all this talk has shifted in the past few days to the world the Timberwolves are going to draft Anthony Edwards uh, instead of trade the pick. And Dan was like, okay, no, they're not with some rather unflattering <laughs> remarks about Anthony Edwards. 
So, oh, I did. I don't. I don't know. Did, did I have unflattering remarks about Anthony? Well, Edwards? let me tell you what you said, Dan. Okay. The, uh, you know, you were like a guy who's not that into basketball, who kind of lacks motivation at times. Who does that remind you of? Uh, so I feel like that's not all that flattering. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and I'll own this. So really, actually, there's two different things to unpack here. One that I want to address first is me saying, you know, there's this talk that the Wolves are going to draft Anthony Edwards. Okay, no, they're not. And I would like to think that it's a low-key crusade of mine over time to be a moderating force in a world of hot takes that I can Mm. help lower the temperature a little bit. And some of that has to do with not speaking with certainty over things that you are not certain about. And I was not certain about what the Wolves front office was thinking and what they might do. And I had no business speaking as though I was. And so the more you catch me doing something like that, <laughs> call it out because here, this I I was wrong. Um, I think what I was thinking in that instance, I was actually trying to get at the idea that there had been this general consensus that the best prospect was LaMelo Ball and everything I understood about how the front office was operating was that they were in a search for the best asset, hopefully to trade draft night or in advance of the draft, but if not get the pick and something that has trade value, everything that I had heard or most of what I had heard seemed to indicate that the players that were perceived as having the most value were Wiseman and ball. And, but everyone that's doing that analysis, they also don't know what the Wolves front office is thinking and they haven't put the same time and come to the same conclusions. And so it, it goes to show a lot, but then the second thing I would mention is where you, I, I said that thing about, Oh yeah. Lacks motivation takes place off in defense or whatnot. And I think it's, this is great because Josh, you and I are from Iowa <laughs> where college basketball was King, right? We grew up yeah. Iowa Hawkeyes. It was great. Probably did not think a whole lot of the, the NBA moved up the twin cities and it's just a huge shift suddenly it's it's you're in an nba market and college basketball is like kind of story number you know eight in the twin cities sports market and my my tastes shifted and i'd say i remember back in growing up when the ncaa tournament was like the sporting event of the year and it was about five years ago when I finally admitted to myself, I just don't even, I don't know any of the teams. I don't know anyone who's playing. It's just not that interesting to me anymore. And I just simply prefer the NBA as a product. All this to say, I don't watch college games. So until draft talk starts, I don't know any of these guys. And so I can only go off of what I hear from other draft analysis. So it's sort of secondhand, again, secondhand takes. 
people have and, who have the time and uh, are paid to dig into these things. Right. And you, you don't get a whole lot by watching the highlight videos because they all hit all their shots in the highlight videos. Right. <laughs> like, you need yeah, you don't see LaMelo Ball hitting 27% of his threes in his seven-minute highlight video. Or... Anthony Edwards hitting 27% of his threes. I do know that when I watched Anthony Edwards highlights, I was wincing from the shot, you know, the, the shot selection, even in the highlight video. He, he hit a lot of those uh, long two point step backs in his highlight he, videos. He I know sure that. He did. Yeah. But I was really going off of, it was a, a lazy sort of an, assessment and i think you think oh yeah it's wiggins 2.0 is like a comp for the guy and what i have feel like i've learned in the last couple of weeks is that that's really a terrible comp in terms of the actual objective reality of he takes plays off on defense yes <laughs> poor shot selection yes but in terms of the type of person they are you know, Wiggins kind of came in into the NBA fully formed in what he was going to be. You know, he came from a very stable background with a, you know, NBA father and sort of the path was laid for him, sort of silver spoon upbringing and Anthony Edwards came from a background where he lost mother and grandmother at an early age, did not really have any sort of, stabilizing force he's like he just turned 19 so there's this, kind of this difference in their path of getting there but also when you think about personality you know wiggins was really not what you would classify as like a, a leader leader in the locker room or a vocal sort of magnetizing force on the court mm -hmm. and it it sure appears that anthony edwards has a personality that's like 180 degrees different in terms of well magnetism is sort of a, a, a quality that he seems to have and he seems to have a uh an energy about him that it's like plays were being taken off for different reasons <laughs> for for sure there is a huge bet that the wolves are taking on anthony edwards but it is they are working on a very different personality type than i think they were working on with wiggins i mean there was some recognition i know you know the story that has been circulating about how anthony edwards came into the his workout with the wolves and his trainer was having him go through some mid-range shots and he told the trainer no no i'm not going to do that today that's not well, the, way the way you described that to me was like even more encouraging, which was the trainer was doing the workout and he started going into some of the longer two exercises and Anthony Edwards had the, the courage or the leadership to say, that's not, we're not going to take those, those shots today because that's not how their system works here. Right. And, and, and it, that it's like showed such an awareness of like, what this team does is different. And so we're not even going to show them this because they're not interested in it is a really encouraging story to hear. It's fair to say that that could have been a planned event by that trainer. <laughs> However, it is a good story. And how many years, 
how many this is in the workout for the wolves how many years did it take for wiggins to have that same realization <laughs> that that's not the way that i guess that was the way the timberwolves did things but <laughs> he was certainly seeing evidence that that was that there could be some improvements to his shot selection long before it became the the de facto way things are done in minnesota but anyway um Question for you, Dan. Yeah. Do you think that a better potential comp, because comps are only potential comps. Like you say, I like the Wiggins comp isn't fair. It's like, well, no, like these are all just like, what's the spectrum of Anthony Edwards is like potential uh, development going to be. And Wolf fans who are traumatized by the Andrew Wiggins era and a guy who just never reached his potential here truly and only kind of regressed over time, both in his play and in how much fans loved him. Cause after his rookie year and even his second year, we were quite optimistic on him taking the leap and he never did. And things seemed to get worse. But when you talked about the background that Wiggins had a sort of easier upbringing and path to the NBA and Anthony Edwards had that like, like really rough, uh, path is Jimmy Butler a better potential comp for Anthony Edwards when you think about Jimmy Butler's upbringing where he experienced homelessness for a period of time there was some turmoil in the family and I get that that might be like that's a pretty optimistic one but that like sense of grit Jimmy has a pretty dynamic personality he uh, has shown yeah, I, um, I some leadership potential in the right settings I, I don't think so because I think difficult background aside, I think Jimmy Butler came from a position of being sort of an afterthought in terms of his potential in the NBA. So mm. he, he didn't come in as a preordained star. He didn't come in as a number one pick. And I don't know where, you know, the whole, you know, starting for, mcdonald's all-american team or so on but people known that anthony edwards was pretty special from pretty early on and i don't think that was the kid jimmy butler and i'm willing to bet that he was really a dog on both of the court pretty early on i don't think he was probably accused of taking plays off in college i don't know but i i don't think that that was a late developing thing for him okay yeah i i don't actually know what uh, yeah, I, I think there's two different things. There's also the what's the talent comp and what's the personality comp. And I, I can't really go there on the personality because I actually don't know much about many of these guys before they came to the league. So it would be irresponsible for me to make that claim. But I think that one thing that really struck me was the front office talking about how it really wasn't much of a, decision for them that he was in their words head and shoulders above the other potential prospects in terms of where they think they can go and i think we can believe them in that again we don't know that this is not ultimately going to end in a trade everything they're saying is indicating that he's here for the development you know that they're going to keep him but what else are they going to say right <laughs> That's why I don't believe anything a front office says publicly. 
however major grain of salt with every i that's like a a very but everything comes with a major grain of salt because why wouldn't they say that maybe they were like desperately trying to trade the pick and like i think the the one thing didn't come together and so it's like oh no this was our plan all along so you give your fans confidence but you like really hype up this guy who might be a possible trade piece at some point for sure i think the one thing that you can believe is that they thought he was the best prospect because either either they are going to keep him in which case they think he's the best prospect or that that's their intent or else their intent is to flip him in which case they think he will equip himself as the best prospect a year down the line that he is going to be the the best asset so for whatever reason they think he is the best prospect now i think it is possible that they have a very high opinion of themselves and their ability to develop and make sure he realizes that potential and this will become a theme because we're going to talk about malik beasley later but they're taking a couple bets this year uh, that things are going to really work out where they're where they're taking a gamble and i think they're a franchise that probably needs to take a couple gambles and knock it out of the park. So if they really think that this guy has the potential to be a multi-time all-star, they got to roll the dice and go for it. But I, I'm, I've, I'm pretty excited about him actually. <laughs> sort of the old most hoped for outcome as a, instead of the, the most likely outcome. But I'm thinking about this, Andrew Wiggins level athleticism or more in this powerful, powerful frame. And this kid that has, has some fire that definitely needs to be sort of cultivated and, and, and channeled and and mentored. But um, it, it looks like they're starting to work to put some of the pieces in place to make that happen. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah, me too. I think this is a good time to shift gears then to talk about the Ricky Rubio trade, both the immediate the immediate implications and long-term speculations. One thing I want to say before you really dig in here, Dan, is I was very concerned on the night of the draft when that trade was announced that Rubio was going to then just be traded. Uh, <laughs> so you have like the Rubio trade is announced and yeah. Twitter is euphoric. It like overshadows the number one pick in a lot of ways, at least in terms of the uh, the conversation on Twitter, all these longtime Wolves fans, one of their favorite players is coming back. And I was like, oh God, like what if they like just package him in a trade? But one of the things that really... That would, have, that would have been a Tibbs level of tone deafness though, right? <laughs> but you but can't you can't be a president of basketball operations or make those decisions and be all that concerned about, oh, the fans are excited about this for three seconds and you have like a bigger, uh, bigger goal at play. But the thing that really encouraged me was uh, reading John Krasinski's article from Uh, the athletic recently where the interview that he had with Rubio Mm -hmm. and how 
uh, Rosas tried to get Rubio yeah. before he signed with the Suns. So he's kind of always been on the radar, which means that I believe that Rosas really admires and sees the value in Rubio's game in maybe a way that nobody since the, his, maybe his rookie year potential has seen. And I'm really excited to see how that develops, but tell me more about your immediate implications, long-term speculations and gut reactions when it was like Ricky Rubio is returning to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Well, let me say first in that same John Krasinski article, my favorite part was at the very end where they're asking him about the number nine, you know, he's going to wear the number nine here again. He didn't wear it. He refused to wear it in his other stops because it's just a special thing he shares between him and Minnesota. <laughs> it's the most precious thing I've ever read. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> Love of Ricky Rubio among Timberwolves fans, it's become kind of a bit it in just like it, 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 it's just kind of a bit, but at the same time, it is he was this source of joy in these what would have been very joyless years he was playing here. He came in and played with this in, infectious sort of flair, just played his ass off every night and we all kind of the struggles he had in shooting made him, you know, gave him this, <laughs> he, he had, he was a flawed hero, but it is undeniable. And, and it, you even look back like the, you know, the years in Utah, his time in Phoenix and like, he simply teams are always, always better when he's on the court. He's just, the straw that stirs the drink and so if you ask me like my immediate reaction i'm happy i'm just happy regardless of fit regardless of anything else ricky has been one of my favorite players and often my favorite player in recent history and the fact that he's coming back to minnesota and feels that he has a connection to minnesota is just beyond all of the other sort of bottom line analysis you might do that just makes me happy um in terms of his actual fit here there was something that really struck me and i'm going to assume most of the people listening in don't need us are, are probably enough into the timberwolves that they kind of understand the history of him here and yeah. how he left how he came back all that and, you know dm us if you need filled in on any of that stuff but um I was sort of wondering okay so they they weren't going to draft a lamello ball there have been these rumblings about like d'angelo russell actually did not want lamello ball drafted because he he's the lead ball handler and all this and so like how is he mm. going to work coming into the team and all that and in the introductory press conference for the new rookies they were talking about rubio's fit and one of the things they said is like you have an elite playmaker in russell and you get Rubio in here and you're going to have elite playmaking for 48, 48 minutes. minutes yeah. And I was just thinking about how many years there's been, you know, you think about the year where Jamal Crawford was just chucking and our second unit and our, our, our reserves would come in, we'd be up eight points and in five minutes we'd be down by five. 
<laughs> to close out the quarter and just that sort of stability in the second unit. And of course, it's not going to be like D'Angelo plays 32 minutes and Ricky plays 18 or whatever it is. I, we have reason to believe that they'll also put them on the court at the same time. Some uh, it is worth noting for anyone that hasn't seen this that Rubio actually shot like 36 percent from three last year, so like at or a little bit above league average on I think it was his highest volume since he's been in the league. So hmm. not lights out, but he's gotten to the point where you know he's not. It, you you can sort of have him play him a little bit. You could certainly play D'Angelo Russell off the ball, but there's a little bit of play and. Gosh, can you imagine the ball flinging around with those two guys on the court? It shows that, at least in terms of spot-up threes, teams can't just ignore Ricky Rubio. Right. And, which and, is sort of like the when he was here, you'd see a lot of defense. During his first run, you'd see a lot of defense just like sag and ignore him. But if indeed that improvement holds, they at least have to pay some attention to him being an open spot up shooter too. Right. I, I should mention the other main reason that they brought him in. And I think they're saying as much, but Timberwolves were suddenly with this and the um, Ed Davis signing, they're probably not still the youngest team in the league, but they were the youngest team in the league. And so you got Cat and D'Lo who aren't exactly young, but, in terms of development and kind of where they're trying to get still kind of play like they are. And you got the number one draft pick that's going to need a, you know, by all accounts, probably a tremendous amount of guidance and mentoring a bunch of other young players, first, second year guys that are floating in and out of the lineup and to have this sort of stability and, and mentorship and just, Ricky at age 30 and what he's been able to do for players in the past. And there's the specific comparison drawn out about his two years in Utah, where he was there for Donovan Mitchell's rookie year. And you want to talk about maybe a little bit of a comp, at least Mm. in terms of athleticism and that sort of potential and, and so the development of Donovan Mitchell and where he went. And a lot of people have credited Rubio's presence in the locker room with guiding that along so him him being in the locker room i think is just going to be a great great thing for this team now the pushback Britt robson wrote a couple days ago this article i don't know if you read this one yet josh oh okay it's actually really good it's a big wet blanket on the whole rubio signing thing and it was necessary to be written i don't know if i entirely buy it but it's basically this idea that well what if d'angelo russell is not super happy about Rubio being brought in and we Mm. have this evidence of like how did Jeff Teague feel being Rubio's replacement and it was just where he had these quotes about like I'm hearing about Ricky Rubio every day when he came in yeah and D'Angelo Russell was the shiny new toy like six months ago and this city embraced him and loved him and and so Ricky comes in and suddenly like when he gets traded for he's more of the talk of the town than Anthony Edwards is. Yeah, fair. But one thing that I'm not all that concerned about is that like D'Angelo Russell has a really entertaining style of play mm. and he's really a pretty jubilant personality and a lot, he's very likable in a way that Jeff Teague was not in every <laughs> single fashion. <laughs> not every single fashion. He was yeah, likable in that he was a super cool dude. He was a super cool dude. He was a great locker room interview, but you got to like really be paying attention yeah. 
to the Timberwolves to see that versus like your average fan. I think that there is, as opposed to it being like, oh, people love Rubio, but they don't like D'Angelo Russell. I feel like it's just an incredibly likable duo. Mm -hmm. And has anybody who's been on Rubio's teammate that you're aware of not liked him, not enjoyed playing with him? Absolutely not. And and I think it the the other fair pushback to Britt's article is you can't have it both ways. You can't say that this team is bereft of talent and is absolutely not going to make the playoffs, and then say that you ha- also have t- too many guys that are deserving of starting, and we that people are going to get mad. It's like well, somehow. <laughs> somehow a lot of teams out there with a lot more talent than the wolves have had and probably still have have managed to work this out somehow i think this might be just uncharted territory for us where we actually have seventh and eighth guys in the rotation who deserve minutes but it's that's gonna work itself out i'm pretty sure mm-hmm. dance yeah now let's shift gears so we have the Rubio trade and the Malik Beasley signing. So Malik Beasley signed a free agent contract for four years, $60 million. And it seems like the consensus from what I've read is that people thought this was the kind of the high end, the absolute high end of what he would get, uh, especially given some of his uncertain legal uh, proceedings at the moment from some unfortunate you know, we, we've all gone a little bit crazy in quarantine and maybe that just got to Malik a little bit as well, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, uh, but that it seemed like that was going to put the wolves at a really strong bargaining position because who really wants to sign a guy who else is going to want to sign a guy who may not play this year. And then old wolves, uh, nemesis slash coach slash president of basketball operations tom thibodeau tosses out a whiff of he's interested in beasley and all of a sudden we're giving him Mm. four years 60 million dollars where do you uh land on this signing and like a is it good b was he overpaid like yeah it have to be done do we pay too much yeah what's your what is your perspective so i was definitely among those who was thinking that that $15 million a year was something that we were talking about some at the height of his crazy offensive production run of last spring. Like, Oh, is he maybe worth like 15 a year? Yeah, maybe. And since that time, you're the whole, (laughs) the obvious, like the elephant in the room of the what's his, what's going to happen with this, pending case right now off the court and the idea that that might suppress his value a bit and they could wait it out and see how that that played out so i was a little surprised and i think when the deal was actually signed it was two days before his first court date Um, i think it was floated that the wolves must have some insight into the situation and have reason to believe that it's going that he's going to be available for this season but as of press time, Timberwolves tip to tap does not have any additional <laughs> insight into the situation. Um, but I think one thing that we did learn, and this is one of those, you know, I, 
these guys are plugged in a way, but these guys, I mean, the front office are plugged in in a way that we are not. And when I started seeing what was coming in for some of these other, what would be considered pretty one dimensional shooters, Joe Harris at 75 million for four years, uh, David Bertrands, right? Five years for $80 million. Hmm. I think Malik Beasley at, I think he just turned 24 like a day ago and pretty fiery on the court. Um, And it, it, he has a skill that is really, if, if he, if that type of production he gave us last spring continues, he has a, a highly sought after ability to hit shots and he adds a, a facet of athleticism and kind of a perfect age to invest in a player. And, you know, everyone gets sick of hearing the about the concept of timelines, but he's pretty solidly in, in D'Lo and Cap's timeline. And so if, if his offense is anywhere close to what we saw last spring and if the court situation plays out, such that he's available it's actually a pretty good deal longer term those are two major ifs but as i was mentioning earlier the the timberwolves are making two big bets in this offseason and one is that they can do what needs to be done that anthony edwards is gonna play out favorably and beasley is gonna play out favorably and and if they cash in on both those bets it's gonna be a a really good thing for the team. One thing that I'm interested in seeing with Beasley is if this fieriness can translate to better defense because he was just an abjectly terrible defender. And, and I don't understand how somebody with that amount of passion and energy, mm-hmm. and it's, we'll go in more in some other episode, we'll go more into this, but I just don't understand how that doesn't translate to better defense. And I understand in this day and age, being a guy that kind of gets up into your grill is not enough that so much of it has to do with how you handle screens and how you work within team defensive schemes. And sometimes it's just a lack of awareness um, or lack of understanding how the scheme works. But I, I think he had some quote where he's said he's going to be like all defense next year and it's one of those things that you love about Beasley is like he just he was also like we're going to be like the best team in the west when he came on board and it's like gosh you know I don't hate the confidence yeah it's like that energy and that attitude is is as a fan anyway it's like kind of fun to see a guy come in with that kind of bluster and like his play at least on the offensive end was pretty pretty fantastic during those 14 games uh Related to the two big bets that you talked about with, okay, Anthony Edwards is sort of a bet and Beasley is a bet. Uh, if the Beasley bet pays off, do you think that actually gives us more flexibility that if Edwards doesn't pan out, it is yeah. a f- much more forgivable? Like, do we really just have to have one of those bets pay off? Like if neither pays off, we're really probably going to be struggling unless there's other moves that are made but if one of those pays off yeah that's actually a, a fair point because we got you know right now we got a little bit of a glut at shooting guard 
we got two guys that we know can score and not defend, and we got two guys that can defend and can't score. And it's like it'd be nice if sometime before I die, I can have a Timberwolf that can play two sides of the ball. Please God. Yeah, other than <laughs> Kevin Garnett, yeah. Yeah. But uh no, I yeah, I mean with this, you know, kind of in this sort of more modern era. But yeah, um, I think one other thing I, I will bring up too is you know, we've talked about Rubio and we've talked about Beasley, but Dane Moore had mentioned this, and I think it's something that's so easily forgotten. And if you think about the way our front office works, they are very much they never stop. They're they're like the eye of Sauron, they're like they're ceaselessly scanning for opportunities or seeing people, you know, they, they, they're all about family, but they also see you as an asset if you're on the team and you, you cannot make deals. If the only players you have on your team are minimum contract mm -hmm. and rookie scale guys, and then two max contract guys, especially if you don't intend on, if you intend on building around your max contract guys, you need people in that 10 to $20 million range. Two weeks ago at this time, we had one guy, James Johnson, who was a pretty great trade piece. Cause he was like 16 million or something like that. And he was mm -hmm. going to be expiring this summer. He's going to be available to be thrown into deals. Now we have two guys, one at, roughly 15 one at roughly 17 beasley like, and rubio yeah beasley's three years rubio's two years and could be like well james johnson was expiring yes but james johnson had very little basketball value at this point he can play okay but he he plays nowhere near the value of his contract yeah. rubio is maybe this you know in the he's in the top 20 point guards in the league he plays 17 million dollars worth of basketball and Beasley were betting their betting is playing at least 15 million dollars worth. So you can say that like, oh, they don't expire for a couple of years. Yeah, but they have value as a player that contributes now. So you now have because all this talking about how does how does Anthony Edwards fit into the system and how does Rubio fit into the system? Well, maybe the way they fit into the system is Rubio and Anthony Edwards and <laughs> God, I don't know. Maybe it's Rubio and Anthony Edwards and Jared Culver are out and we have Ben Simmons on the team by the trade deadline. Mm. I don't know, but that's Just some of... flexibility to make deals for a potential super duper star that you right. didn't have before merely because you can make the contracts work with people that also have basketball value and can contribute to a, another team being uh, a dynamic good team as well exactly you know rosas is such a great salesperson he's got me believing that they're gonna you know <laughs> work and turn anthony edwards into a star but let's not forget i was making the argument that i don't want a 19 year old guy on this team that takes four years to turn into a functioning nba player and maybe he won't maybe they know even more than i do because i don't know but you know cat and D'Lo are what are they 25 now? The yeah, I was 25. They're right, it's somewhere around there. Yeah, no, uh, I, I was just looking this up uh moments ago. So cat's 25, D'Lo's 24. Okay. And so <laughs> you better believe that. Well, I don't know, you don't have to believe anything because I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna speak with certainty <laughs> about it, but I am gonna say that. 
I think there is reason to believe Rosas would prefer to have a current guaranteed superstar on this roster to pair with Cat and D'Lo this year than Anthony Edwards. But what do you have? You have now uh, uh, Malik Beasley at $15 million who is kind of a little bit of a high risk proposition in terms of some of the trouble he's had on the court, but he's definitely providing a on-court service, a very valued one right now, plus a th- this new number one draft pick prospect. Basically you have just these different pieces that can be used and all it would take is one team that sees things the way you want them to see things. And you, you think, things are impossible. And next thing you know, somebody's traded Andrew Wiggins for D'Angelo Russell. And you're like, things happen. They happen. Yeah. Not everybody sees things with the same jaded viewpoint we do here in Minnesota. I checked in on a Golden State Twitter thread and they were being asked whether they would trade Wiggins for Ben Simmons straight up. And it was like 80%. Are you out of your mind? No way. I'm just <laughs> telling you, not everyone sees things the way we in Minnesota see things or we who follow Minnesota see things. So I'm happy with the, I'm I'm willing to roll with what they got going under the season, but I don't think we have any reason to believe that they see this team as a finished product right now. So is it time to talk power rankings, Dan, Minnesota Timberwolves (laughs) power rankings? Uh, why don't you take this away? Because you saw a uh, somebody tossing out Timberwolves power rankings on Twitter. And what direction do you want to take this? Sure. I'll just quickly mention, and I'm not going to go into it because I think it would be better saved for another show. But um, it, it, I would be remiss not to mention that Juancho Armand Gomez signed three years for $21 million. We mm-hmm. can have some thoughts about that, but I think there'll be time to talk about it. And Ed Davis uh, signed for considerably less, but a solid guy, solid defensive. All signs point. He's a great teammate and just a solid basketball player. Yeah. We still might not have a starting quality power forward on, mm. on the roster, but yeah, we'll, I'm, I'm happy to talk at length about that at, at another time. <laughs> But yeah, so Timberwolves power ranking. So this seems like it's going to be fun. So I want to give a, a shout out to Logan Alton of a wolf among wolves who had seen, I guess he had seen someone else do it. And then he, he power ranked all the Timberwolves. And I don't remember exactly how he had things going, but this made me think it would be a fun. And it reminded me of, I have listened at times to binge mode podcast from the ringer where they were like going through the entire Harry Potter book series and they did star Wars and like, and uh, game of Thrones. And they would be like, who, who won the, you know, who, who, who's like, who is the winner of whatever for this particular book or this chapter in this book? It's like, Oh, it's Draco Malfoy or it's, you know, Ron Weasley, whoever just kind of had that, the big energy going at the time. And so the way I want to handle this is, we'll check in and we'll do power rankings and it's absolutely not who is the best player because that would, you know, Oh, what do you know? Cat again? Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be kind of a combination of on court performance, but in some instances, like just kind of who's capturing the imagination of the city, who's got the energy, who's got the momentum. And I think it'll just be kind of a fun composite of just like, how are we feeling about these guys right now? Yeah. 
And maybe in the future, it'll take some form. Maybe you're doing some and I'm doing some, or maybe we're talking about them beforehand. This is my little bit. Feel free to push back and question me on these, but I'm going to go through the, and I'm just going to do the top five. It's going to be all these Timberwolves are going to be checking. It's like, what can they do to crack Dan's Timberwolves <laughs> power rankings? <laughs> so um, should I start with one and go down to five or should I start with five and go? I think to you one? should go five to one, you know, like, okay. Yeah. So yeah, people are like, like, Oh, it, that's what it's gotta be. It's like back in I win the day, the top nine at nine on <laughs> yeah. uh, the radio station. Right. You know, it's, it's all the buzz around who will get Dan's number one power ranking spot this week. It's gotta be D'Lo. He hasn't said D'Lo yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So number five, goes to a guy that we have not even mentioned really except in passing in this particular podcast it's ed davis and the reason i'm going with ed davis the power rankings is this is a guy who scored 1.8 points per game last year in in the nba and like he people may have been as excited about the ed davis signing as they were about the anthony davis drafting (laughs) people that it started with Mm. people who are very much into the NBA. It's like, I've liked this guy for years and like great teammate, great locker room. And then quotes start coming out. You find out that Damian Lillard was asked who his favorite teammate was he ever played with Ed Davis and like just a great mentor. And he's a solid force in the locker room. And then after, you know, a couple of days, then it moved on to people that had never like me, who've never heard of Ed Davis before. And we're like, yes, Ed Davis, solid locker room guy, hard nose rebound. <laughs> like, I'm so glad Ed Davis is here. And I, I'm here to say that I think Ed Davis's star has not been so high for like four years at any stop he's been in. And we're just, we're so ready for Ed Davis to succeed here to the point. I would actually, this is the big hot take and this is something I maybe defend in a future podcast, but I think at this point I would start Ed Davis over Wancho Mm -hmm. in the first game of the year because Ed Davis defends and he rebounds and we desperately need those things on our front unit. And we might, if Jarrett Culver and Akogi aren't starting. We might need a little bit of, we might need a little bit of uh, Wancho's offense in the second unit. But anyway, Ed Davis comes in at number five. Okay, okay. who comes in at number four? I feel free to you know, like if you have a pushback or yeah. No, no push, no pushback on Ed Davis. Okay, number four is D'Lo. So. There hasn't been any particular news from him, although he seems to find his way into like social media pushes. They have some thing that comes out from minute from Timberwolves, you know, the Timberwolves Twitter or Timberwolves Instagram. And it's usually uh, it's usually D'Lo kind of shaking somebody and taking a three over an outstretched hand. And I think the way I said he was a shiny new toy six months ago, but we're still all very excited to see what happens when he takes Mm -hmm. the the court with cat. So we haven't seen fully realized cat and D'Lo friendship on the court. What's this going to look like? And um, yeah, I'm excited to see him. Twin cities is excited to see what he's got this year. And number four, number three, (sighs) number three is cat. Uh, so this is maybe a topic for upcoming episodes, but people are kind of sleeping on cat. 
he has taken a lot of abuse in the months since he's played. I'm not sure there's a a player with a good offensive game and a questionable defensive game who has taken more heat for their defense than Cat. There are lots of guys out there not defending that do not get this same level of criticism. And it's because of the Timberwolves futility, but we, I mean, he has had crap teams that he's been trying to, to lead anywhere. So I think he comes into this year. This is a guy that is aware of things that are said. (laughs) You you can't forget that he is an otherworldly offensive talent. I can't, but I think a lot of people can and have. Yeah, well, and I, I think the, you know, people talk about the question marks with Cat related to the basketball game, but he's had sort of a nightmare of a year from mm-hmm. an emotional level. And that's actually where my concern exists with Cat right now is that losing his mom from COVID kind of tacked on to the questions about his game, what happened with Jimmy Butler, and that maturity emotionally has been a question mark for him. That, you know, traumatic life events of losing a parent at a young age, that can swing either way. Yeah. That, you know, will we get a focused cat who has kind of like grown up a bit or you know, will he, is this just kind of who he is for now? And it'll be really fascinating to see with this team where we don't know anything about what this Minnesota Timberwolves team will be like. Cat and D'Lo played one game together last year. Ricky Rubio, Anthony, like of the guys on your top five power rankings they paid played a combined total well cat and rubio played they have some experience together which i uh i guess i spoiled maybe your power rankings (laughs) (laughs) countdown here josh i uh we'll see where i'm i'm keeping an eye i have no concerns about cat's offensive game i have fewer concerns about everybody else is concerned about enough about his defense that i don't have to be I'm looking at Cat's emotional maturity this year as the the leap I would like him to see, like to see him take as a not just a leader, somebody who's just like neutral to the team's emotional temperature. Yeah. You know, like how much are we complaining about officials? Are we getting too overheated for the matchup with Embiid to the point where it's actually detrimental? Those are the things that I want to see uh, resolved personally. Yeah. I, I, I think I start going down the road of thinking like, oh, let's see. I wonder how, you know, how many points per game does losing your mom try? You know, and it starts getting into this uncomfortable thing that's like, it's just, that's not, it's not a thing that I'm like particularly, it just seems like a weird thing to start going into yeah. thinking about basketball that way. Um but I will say that it it does appear that in the past there's been this weird sort of uh, very 
what am I trying to say about his very saccharine sort of way he has presented himself to the media? It, it, it seems like he had this sort of brand almost mm. that he wanted to create for himself that was sort of above the fray and almost setting himself up for, I, I don't know what, but not, not giving answers and perspective when asked questions that seem particularly genuine or taking ownership of things or whatever. And, right. and there's just something with, you know, because I don't know if you knew this, but he, he is actually one of the representatives on the, I don't know if they call it the social justice committee for the league. There's like mm. five players that are representatives on it. And he is, and he was really big into some of the events following the uh, George Floyd killing and, and just stuff that's happening locally with that. So on top of the other stresses going on, you know, on a personal level or one, and, and there's something about this, all that, like just some of these things where it seemed like so much of his, the way he presented himself and played on the court or whatever, it, it just seemed it existed in this level that was maybe not as much substance as you might've hoped. And maybe coming out of this period, it just, it, it, there might be something that this is getting way too serious for the Timberwolves <laughs> top five power <laughs> rankings. Cat is number three. <laughs> and number two, number two is Anthony Edwards, the Ant-Man. And yeah, it, it I feel like the way he was talked about in this podcast tonight might not have given the true indication of how I have personally, he's in my power rankings. <laughs> I've really swung on the guy where I was like, I went from a position of, Oh, you know, I'd run screaming from the room. If we were going to draft Anthony Wiggins 2.0 to like, have you seen this? <laughs> kids got the best measurables by p3 training facility Sports science yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you can't you can't watch a guy do a sideways lateral leap of 13 feet and not get a little bit excited <laughs> for all for all wiggins athleticism like he never really th- thunderously dunked after his rookie year and with yeah it's like after a couple they, years in it was what rare. the heck and there's just something about the space as you said the cat in his offensive ability and you got this guy that can score at every single level the spacing that the walls have now with delo and cat and beasley and the sort of space that would would be created and i i actually am have this little art secret argument I'm preparing to make for Anthony Edwards to start the year on the bench, but putting him uh, in the starting unit and giving him the ability to not have to be one of the primary scorers, Mm. but your job is to see if there is a seam and if there is attack that rim, like you want to murder it, (laughs) that could be such a scary offense to try to defend so you are on board with starting Anthony Edwards, take the pressure off. He doesn't have to carry a second unit and find the seam and ferociously dunk as much as you can. No, I'm actually for him to be on the bench and be mentored by Ricky Rubio and have Ricky Rubio put him in positions to score and 
put a little mm. bit of offensive pressure on the rim and in, in, in the second unit and take pressure off him that way. However, it would be sure fun if he is on the court in that starting unit. It would be fun to see him dunk. <laughs> Number one. Number one. It's got to be Ricky Rubio. If you are a guy that is like 30 years old and has been traded to like four teams in seven years or whatever, and you get traded for a 17th draft pick and you occupy 90% of the hometown excitement over the number one draft pick, you get the number one ranking in Dan's Timberwolves power rankings every time. (laughs) His... He was a rock star when he came to the Twin Cities and he remained super popular and beloved with the fan base. And we were all so sad when he went away. And for so many years when he was here, he was like the best player by a country mile, aside from maybe one Kevin Love year. And I know you had your own issues with Kevin Love when he was here. You did not see that. I was... (laughs) Kevin Love. <laughs> I did see eye to eye with Kevin Love. Oh, it was, it was, uh, he, he was, and forgive me, I'm in my uh, double IPA state here. Yeah. And, and another thing, and another thing, Josh, you, <laughs> you had really made the case about the, the stats, the empty stats case for Kevin Love. Did I? <laughs> oh, yeah, you really did. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, unfortunately it wasn't in a podcast, so I can't call you the carpet. Like, you yeah, did. no, I, 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 I'm sure I did. And I, I think that largely that there is plenty of argument that a lot of Kevin loves contributions here, although we did have some competitive teams. So there's arguments against it, but that yeah. there was a lot of empty, uh, empty stats there. So Dan, what I would like to do with your power ranking segment is each time you do it, I want to select the sixth man, the guy left out. Oh yeah. Love it. Love it. So I am selecting Josh Akogi as the sixth man Hmm. of your power rankings, because when you talk about overlooked guys, people that people may, may not be thinking around like, ah, this individual may really have an impact that we're not considering because of their past limitations. Josh Kogi may be on this, maybe the perfect fit for this team of now he can be the hustle guy. He can get all of the, all of the loose balls. He'll play great defense. If you need somebody to harass James Harden or uh, somebody on the other team, like you need that defensive dog to come in and give you a stop and like, and he doesn't necessarily have to make shots, but will occasionally. Uh, Josh Akogi is your sixth man on this power rankings list. And watch out. Uh, he will crack your top five this year more times than you think he might. I don't doubt it. Actually, I, I would say Josh Akogi is one of my favorite players for a couple of reasons. One is obviously that he gets after it. and he, he But also, I, he's a player that has really emerged – this off season. And again, with 
all this strife that has happened around Black Lives Matter and and police violence, and he has become a real vocal leader representing the team. He was around all off season. He's been a real force in the community, and I I, I just think he's really going to be and well he's the second longest tenured Timberwolf, right? Right. <laughs> going into his third year. <laughs> but, but I think he's going to be a real leader in that locker room and he's going to be a voice that can sort of challenge people to step it up on defense. And I, I'm just also going to say, I I personally noticed in those last 14 games that we saw after the All-Star break, I noticed him starting to finally really make noticeably better decisions with a ball mm-hmm. he used to have kind of that Corey brewer quality where he'd start heading to the rim and it just without yeah. a plan and sort of kicking it back out or discretion is the better part of valor sort of decisions and and i i we should look this up and see if i'm even right but i bet he started getting a higher percentage i don't know if you would even know how to look it up that fast but probably not higher percentage of fought finishing at the rim Mm-hmm. from like the later part of the season i felt like i really saw that shift during the year so i fully endorse your number six yeah and i it's one of those where it looks like the game might be starting to slow down for him a bit and yeah he's kind of that player that if that happens you know look out call him nonstop. he will be nonstop. uh so any final closing words dan uh, I don't think so. I once again, this has gone a little longer than I might have anticipated it would. Hopefully, somebody's like you know, like I do. You're unloading the dishwasher. You're kind of putzing around, putting things away while you're listening to a podcast, and we kept you a little company while you did it. All right, and that will do it for our second episode of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. Hopefully, we're starting to get our feet under us a bit. Feel free to converse with us via Twitter at at sign tip two and that's t-o tap so spell out two and thanks everyone for tuning in if you can think of anyone else who might want to join us for timberwolf and minnesota craft beer talk please let them know about us and we would be remiss for not mentioning that sunday november 29th is small brewery sunday the craft beer industry's buy local response to black friday so get out to 56 brewing and stock up for timberwolves tip to tap i'm josh die and i'm dan hilton Be kind, stay safe, and howl, everyone. Uh, muted yourself, Dan. Oh, there I am. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs>